What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Happy New Year, everyone. Saying that around the world is nothing unexpected today. But in Miami, for decades, that greeting had a secondary meaning. Not only was it January 1st and the beginning of a new year, but it also meant the kickoff of the Orange Bowl Classic was soon at hand. The world of modern college football, and the college football playoff in particular, has changed that meaning somewhat. And the Orange Bowl is no longer the primetime feature of New Year's Day. In fact, this year, it was moved to an afternoon kickoff on December 30th. In that game, the Georgia Bulldogs defeated the Florida State Seminoles 63-3. That doesn't change the history of the game, a game that has been played so long that when it first kicked off, this town was better known as Miami. Two good teams turned in a thrilling performance. And old Saul smiled brilliantly down during every minute of the afternoon. No, sir, I wouldn't take a million dollars for my seat at the Orange Bowl. And I'll be seeing you there next January 1st. The Orange Bowl meant January 1st. Unless January 1st fell on a Sunday, as it first did in 1939, and did for a few Orange Bowls after that, January 1st was the day where the Orange Bowl kicked off, going all the way back to the first Orange Bowl. And so... It seems a little inappropriate to just pick one, but we'll do that today. This day in Miami history. January 1st, 1935, when the very first Orange Bowl was played. Before we get started, I do want to address the fact it's been a little bit quiet on the old This Day feed the last couple of months. Uh, I will tell you it's no bad news. I was actually finishing up my master's degree in American history, and so I hope that uh, that work will bear a lot of fruit for this podcast and and for the website and the social media feeds in the near future. Uh, But I do expect to be back on the normal monthly routine for those of you missing the show uh, thanks for missing us, but uh, we are back now. 
Uh, and I figured it'd be a great way to kick off 2024 with an episode right out of the gate. And an episode that uh, will bring hopefully something good to your attention, and that is a book. Um, a recently published book entitled The Orange Bowl, A Complete History uh, by Tommy Phillips. Uh, I was able to sit down uh, virtually and talk with Tommy about his book, about his passion for college football, and a little bit about this game that is such a touchstone for our community. Conversation's about 30 minutes. Uh, before we get into it, I do encourage you to check out the notes in this episode um, to find the link to buy Tommy's book. It's really great and incredibly useful. I'll talk more about it once we get into the conversation. And stick around to the end of the episode uh, where I'll remind you where you can find more about Tommy and this little show of ours um, as we get started here in 2024. So without further ado, uh, here's me and Tommy Phillips. All right, we are here today with Tommy Phillips, the author of the the new book. Uh, well, now, forgive me, it's January 1st when this uh, is dropping. So last year published uh, The Orange Bowl, A Complete History, um, which we'll be talking about his book a little bit today and about The Orange Bowl. Uh, it's on the McFarland and Company uh, publisher's uh, line. And uh, thank you to McFarland for uh, working with me a little bit to be able to check out this book. Um, Tommy, how are you doing today? Good, good. Wonderful. Good to hear. So uh, you've actually, before we get into this book, um, you, you wrote a book before um, that, and it seems that you like college football, as do I. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and your connection, you're actually not a Miami author and, and you're not really mm-hmm. connected to Miami per se, but college yeah. football really hooks you in just even before the whole writing part of it. How yeah. did you get into college football in such a passionate way? Um. And high school, a lot of my friends were into it. I was more into just pro football at the time. Mm-hmm. And eventually, um, we kind of got into rivalries, Penn State versus Pitt, those type of things. And I chose Penn State. And my other friend was a Pitt fan. So we had we went back and forth for years and years and years. And that's kind of what got me uh, interested in college football. Uh, and so, p- picking up as a Penn State fan, Penn State, like mm-hmm. full disclosure, I am a Miami Hurricanes fan, so we have a little <laughs> bit of history, but yeah. um, kind of a shared bond in being an independent uh, for, yeah. for a long time, particularly in this period of of the growth of the Orange Bowl in, into kind of this this mega event that we saw in the '80s. And so, uh, w- was was your Penn State fandom kind of your entree into? The Orange Bowl, or did it just kind of call out to you? Like, how'd you wind up landing on writing about the Orange Bowl? Um, well, I first wrote the book on the Penn State Bowl games. And um, whenever I did that, I noticed that there was tons of information on the Rose Bowl, but you couldn't find very much on the Orange Bowl or other bowls. So I wanted to try to correct that. And I chose the Orange Bowl as the book my first one to try to tell the story and um, make it known because only thing we really have is a uh, couple of books produced by the Orange Bowl themselves, but they're very old, so uh, they aren't up to date. So I get the 50th anniversary, and I think this is the 90th year. So um, I thought it would be good if I took this on as a project, and um, there it is. Yeah, so it's it's really a 
a blow by blow, really year by year, mm-hmm. uh, going all the way back to to 1935, which, as you include in the book, is the first official uh, Orange Bowl mm-hmm. game. There, there were two mm-hmm. Palm Festivals before um, that right. were the clear predecessors, but but the University of Miami received an automatic bid, mm-hmm. and the NCAA doesn't count any bowl that has an automatic bid for a team in in their mm-hmm. official record. So 35 is the first game, and, and really, it's 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 a tradition that starts. With the knowledge, you mentioned the Rose Bowl, but that the Rose Bowl is a good idea. And by God, mm-hmm. we ought to have one, too, down in Miami. Um, and so yeah. they're really kind of building the plane as they're flying it. You know, really, the, the Orange Bowl, as mm-hmm. we know, it is not fully done. Um, that, and it's really, again, we kind of assume it's one of the big four. Those early mm-hmm. years, there was a lot of um, um, fighting, <laughs> not, yeah. not physical fighting, but just a lot of yeah. work trying to get mm-hmm. in with the big boys. Maybe you can tell uh, my, my listeners a little bit about that, that work that Ernie Seiler in particular put in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he, Ernie Seiler really built this bowl out of the great depression, got, um, you, uh, what's it called? Works progress act. Um, he, the, the new deal from the great depression helped fund the Orange Bowl and the projects and everything. And that's how they got the money to um, renovate the Miami field, which was a complete mess at the time. And they were able to build that up into a stadium and then get enough fans that they could eventually move into their own stadium. And, um, but yeah, it, it, um, it it really came right out of the Great Depression and um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal helped uh, fund the Orange Bowl. Yeah, so you have, I, I think my favorite of those early games, um, mm-hmm. and like I'll, I'll move 46 off to the side because again, as a Hurricane yeah. fan, that one is <laughs> a special play. I have a 1946 <laughs> Orange Bowl ticket in, in my <laughs> living room. Um, but the 39 game, um, the, the on to Miami game. Um, I love that story, uh, mm-hmm. because so much of Miami's history is about faking it until you make it. <laughs> uh, and to me that 39 game and, and what the committee did was so great. Um, if you mm-hmm. could kind of go a little bit into that story. Yeah. So Ernie Seiler, uh, wanted to get the two best teams, two undefeated teams in Tennessee and Oklahoma, and, uh, wanted to get them um to come to miami instead of going to a different bowl or doing something different so he went to their campuses and drew chalk things on their sidewalks and showed them pictures of pretty girls in miami and did all this kind of stuff that would uh like basically begging them to come to miami so they did and they chose to go to the orange bowl and that's the game that really made the orange bowl blow up yeah, they they really in again if you're kind of like steeped in college football history, and I imagine some of my listeners are out there just more of like the general mm-hmm. history stuff. But um, <clears throat> I think a lot about that game, and again to connect it to our mm-hmm. not to make it too Penn State Miami centric, uh-huh. but I, I think about the '86 Fiesta Bowl mm-hmm. in, in trying to realizing that they're hey these two teams are not um, Big Ten or Pac Ten teams mm-hmm. or I guess Pac Eight at that point that they aren't mm-hmm. necessarily tied to go into the Rose Bowl. Right. We could poach them, 
um, yeah. and make it a, a de facto national championship game. Right. Um, and, and just, again, kind of the, the Fugazi of like making it appear like, well, you guys, congratulations, <laughs> you've made it to Miami. Um, and then and kind of making it out of nothing. It, it's a very Miami story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so let's let's kind of set a dividing point here um, mm-hmm. as kind of pre-1966 and post-1966, mm-hmm. because 1966 is the, the the first real kind of national championship game kind of, kind yeah. of build, build in that way. From that mm-hmm. pre-1966 period, do you have a favorite game that kind of jumps out to you as like, man, that was really cool. It has a great story. Um, I would have to say I don't remember the exact year, but there was the one called the Big Bertha where uh, Duquesne scored a touchdown on a uh, last second touchdown pass, which was a Hail Mary. But um, they called it the Big Bertha. Let me let me just. I think it was quick. 37. Yeah, I knew it was 36 or 37. Yep, 37. Yeah, I think it's 37. Yeah, Duquesne against Mississippi State. That's right. Um, yeah, and they threw that pass at the very end of the game, 69 yards, and uh, it was like the Hail Mary long before the Hail Mary became popular, and they won the game on the last play. And, of course, Duquesne uh, doesn't play in, you know, the top level of football anymore. So that that is all – and I'm from Pittsburgh, so – uh, we we have Duquesne has more Orange Bowl wins than Pitt does. And Pitt, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's that's probably my favorite memory of the pre-television era games. Yeah, when you look at the 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 early years, there are these these kind of odd matchups and odd teams that kind of sneak in. You know, um, you know, the first game was Bucknell. And Miami mm-hmm. Catholic University uh, is in the second game, and then Duquesne, and then Georgetown, I think, sneaks in there too. They had a heck of a season. Mm-hmm. I think it was in yeah. the early, maybe it was in like right at the beginning of World War One. Um, but yeah, and then by the time you get into the the fifties, you start getting more regular names. Uh, but yeah, in those mm-hmm. first twelve years, you have that game and the the, the Miami Holy Cross game of forty six, where Al yeah. Hudson yeah. basically yeah. A, a complete. Uh, error on Holy Cross's part, <laughs> throwing the ball when they re- didn't really have to. Yeah. And um, uh, it winds up getting yeah. intercepted by Al Hudson and returned all the way. I regret I don't have my Al Hudson jersey <laughs> on tonight. I didn't think to put that on, Doi. Um, but yeah, so y- you wind up getting to 1966. And, and this mm. is the, um, you, you really have a high profile matchup taking place. Alabama, Nebraska, uh, number four, mm. Alabama, number three, Nebraska. And then from that point, the game really does start to pick up some momentum. Um, you have a much clearer um, conference alignment um, uh, where you begin to see a pattern, whether it's usually Oklahoma and Nebraska tends to show yeah. their face a lot. Uh, you start to have kind of some standardization. Uh, from from 66 on, um, what what do you think kind of defines it and allows the Orange Bowl to really take that second step into, you know, the Orange Bowl basically becomes kind of the the second. Or the Rose Bowl is the granddaddy. Everyone yeah. knows that. But the Orange yeah. Bowl really does become a clear number two. Um, what, what do you think propels that? What do you think leads that to happen? Um, you know, I, I think television has a lot to do with it because um, the game was usually um, – it began to become broadcast in prime time and that uh, – 
really boosted the game. Uh, you had some exciting games where Penn State went to back-to-back games and won over uh, Missouri and Kansas, both in pretty close games. Uh, you know, during the 70s, um, the game began to rise in prestige, but it was really the 80s whenever the Orange Bowl took over. And the Orange Bowl had, what was it, like five out of the 10 years they had the national championship game. It was something like that. Um, and and um, by the time uh, the BCS came around, the Orange Bowl had hosted more national champions than any other bowl, even the Rose Bowl. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So, yeah, it's it's really a um, kind of a, a matter of luck when you kind of think about it, because mm-hmm. the Big Eight really dominates yeah. college football in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean Oklahoma, yeah. Nebraska. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so they're constantly coming to Miami. Right. Um, and when that starts to weaken a, a bit or not weaken, but the team that kind of gets mm-hmm. in as the third there is Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, right. in the eighties. Um, and so yeah. I'm not going to make you talk about my, <laughs> I promise. I swear. Um, when I, whenever I do a Fiesta Bowl podcast, I will invite you on to talk about Pete Giftopoulos. But, um, yeah. I, I do want to talk about the 84 game, um, mm. because that, you know, re- removing my, my Miami fandom for a second, that does really kind of change the dynamic in college football. Because at, at that point, when you look at the national champions, you did not have a lot of newcomers. You did not have a lot of mm. new faces. Um, uh, and, and really you, you, once you get into the eighties, you see, um, you know, your Miami's, uh, Washington finally breaks through in the nineties, uh, BYU and, and the orange bowl does kind of act as this conduit where these teams, if they're not actually breaking through, like Miami did, Miami caught a mm. whole heck of a lot of luck in 84 yeah. to jump five to one Washington got a lot of not luck by BYU jumping yeah. them, but the, the orange bowl really does become a platform for, not only this old guard of the big eight, but also these newcomers. Um, what do you think makes it possible for the Orange Bowl to kind of thread this needle? Um, I, I think one of the biggest things was that, unlike the Rose Bowl, it had it didn't have two tie-ins. It only had the big eight tie-in. So that allowed them to pick whoever they wanted. And that was long before the Fiesta Bowl you know, the Fiesta Bowl started to get big in the 80s and they could choose whoever they wanted. But um, the Orange Bowl was able to choose 
a very good Nebraska or Oklahoma team and put them up against uh, one of the best um, independent or otherwise squads. And um, you're, you are right. It really changed with that 1984 game because uh, before that, you know, it, it was uh, Miami was just not really in the national conversation all that much. And whenever they won that game, they went all the way from number five to number one. They got a whole bunch of things to happen for them, which is something I miss about college football because you used to be able to start watching at noon and follow the whole storyline of the whole season in one day, and the champion could come from any one of those bowl games. And that's exactly what happened in 1984 when Miami pulled off that upset of Nebraska. So you you go through the 80s, and it's a lot of Oklahoma, a lot of um, Miami, um, and again, the, the occasion of the Colorado's kind of jumping up and, mm-hmm. and, and, and grabbing it 91. Um, but I, I think when I think about the Orange Bowl, again, from my perspective, you know, we're, we're both – kind of younger we're not remembering the mm-hmm. 40s and 50s games yeah um i think about the orange bowl as being the cool one like mm-hmm. like you know like <laughs> it, it, it was old but it was it, it was cool and part of that is the you're in miami as you said it was always a prime time game mm-hmm. um which the you know the the you know the sun setting in pasadena is beautiful but there's yeah. nothing like miami at night <laughs> and, and the yeah. orange bowl stadium was mm-hmm. a big part of that you know the kind of the yeah. open end zone to the east the palm trees there seeing the skyline of miami there and then in 96, the game moves from the Orange Bowl to Pro Player Stadium with a slight move back in 99, yeah. thanks to the Dolphins playoffs. But <laughs> in making that move to Pro Player, and, and now it's um, Hard Rock Stadium, it, it is a beautiful yeah. venue now. Uh, it wasn't mm-hmm. quite that when, when the Hurricanes first moved in 08, but it's really lovely now. But w- what do you think the game gained from moving to that new facility, and what do you think it, it lost? Um. Well, for what it gained, it, it had a what was at the time, whenever they entered it, a pretty top-notch facility. Now it went down pretty quickly after that, but at the time, Joe Robbie Stadium was considered one of the best football-watching stadiums because of the way it was built symmetrical on all sides, and it, there really wasn't any bad seats. But it did lose a lot of the magic of that old Orange Bowl stadium where, you know, the stories of the fans jumping up and down and shaking the stands, you know, and um, that that whole open air feeling of that stadium um, just brought a real uh, special, unique touch to the Orange Bowl that uh, once they left there, they never really got that back. So we, we talked a little bit about the, the pre-66 mm-hmm. um, period. And I'm going to ask you to, uh, in talking about post-66, to withhold 2006. Because I can okay. imagine 2006 <laughs> beating Florida State. I'm happy about that one. Very glad you did it. Um, but bes- besides the Penn State victory, what would you say is your favorite game of the post-66 period? Kind of the modern uh, color TV period. Um, I would have to say the 2000 game between Michigan and Alabama. And um, 
this one, Tom Brady was starting at quarterback for Michigan, but uh, no one really knew who he was yet. Um, he led them back from down 14 points, which remains to this day the Orange Bowl record for the biggest comeback. Um, he got them into overtime, and then Alabama missed an extra point in overtime, and Michigan uh, walked off as winners, and that was one of only two overtime games and in the Orange Bowl history. And um, Michigan, you know, got that big bowl win, but Tom Brady really never got all the fame that, you know, some other big quarterbacks do. And he never was able to use that to jump his way into the first round. But, of course, <laughs> getting drafted in the sixth round, he ends up outlasting everyone else. And and it's just really cool to see that 2000 Orange Bowl as a uh, stepping stone to his NFL career. Yeah, it it I, you know it all worked out for him, I guess. And <laughs> in the end, he did all right. You know, being drafted 199th, he had probably hurt in the, the moment, but he, he wound up coming out on top. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I do want to talk about a kind of another historical organizer here. Uh, before and after the bowl organizations, let's call them the mm-hmm. coalition, the alliance, yeah, the championship series, and then finally the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. The Orange Bowl has been folded into those at every point, mm-hmm. whether it was a, kind of the looser bowl coalition, the more organized alliance, and then the BCS and the college football playoff, which have been pretty highly organized. The The advantage to this is, unlike a lot of other bowls, every once in a while, the game really matters a lot. But mm-hmm. the downside of it is, is that you, you do have this kind of on and off where – it, it, it matters as an exhibition versus it matters as a semifinal versus it kind of mm. the, the stadium hosts the championship game. Yeah. Um, do, do you feel that that's kind of taken some of the luster off the game or because they've made it into this kind of top echelon, it just changes it? Uh, I feel it's definitely hurt the game. Um, it's it's nice in the current format. You know, it, it it's a meaningful game every three years, but. You know, most people are are not even caring about this year's Orange Bowl, even though it has the number five and number six teams in it. And I think it was really hurt, though, during that second iteration of the Bowl Championship Series, whenever uh, the national championship game was just uh, a standalone game. And whenever... They did that. That meant that the Orange Bowl never decided the national champion. So that that was that was probably the worst it had been. It's yet to be seen how this new format is going to work. I mean, my hope is that it means that these six bowls every year are going to be, uh, you know, very good. You know, all sold out. Uh, you know everyone caring about them, no opt-outs or anything. Hopefully that's what it becomes. But I'm very worried that they're going to eventually cut the bowls out of the playoff altogether because they feel they're no longer necessary for the sport. 
that would be a shame. Uh, something else I think just just as, again the kind of the local Miami perspective um too in, in seeing how these games have changed is the loss of the the pageantry um mm-hmm. around the game. And and it is still mm-hmm. there to a degree and the, the, the Orange Bowl committee does a good job of a lot of youth oriented events, but mm-hmm. um you know, basically the only bowl with a parade left is the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Um the, the Orange Bowl used to have a lovely parade. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really happen anymore. There's a junior <laughs> orange bowl parade through Coral Gables, but yeah. it's not nearly the same. And, and a lot of the other, you know, used to have a junior, you know, orange bowl regatta and an orange bowl, uh, all kinds of different sporting contests. And and now you just really have the game and a couple of other things around it. Um, and, and yeah, you know, when you, you kind of lose the the mystique and the prestige around the game, it, it it's unfortunate. And I, I hope you're right, Tommy, that. Um, you know, we will begin to see kind of a, a a reversion, at least to to a degree, back to kind of protecting the bowls as as an important part of, of the history of the game. Um, mm-hmm. So th- the book is. I have one more question for you, but I do want to make sure yep. the folks who are listening know <laughs> the uh, the book by Tommy Phillips, "The Orange Bowl: A Complete History." Oh, I have two questions. Never mind. I have one question <laughs> I forgot to ask you, and it's about the beginning of your book. How'd you get Jamel Holloway to write your foreword? Ah. Uh. Boy, that that was I I was looking through players and I'm trying to think really quick just before you tell the story. Let folks know who Jamel Holloway is, because I'm sorry as the sports nut. I realize that I I don't need to set that, but I'm sure there's some people go ahead and tell them a little bit about Jamel. Yeah, Jamel Holloway was the first true freshman quarterback to lead his team to the national championship for Oklahoma. Uh, He won the 1986 Orange Bowl over Penn State 25 to 10. And um, it was really from that game where I was like, and then he he played in the Orange Bowl the year afterward too, or at least his team did. I'm not sure if he was injured or not. I'd have to. I I know he he went to back to back games. Um, he he was one of my first picks for who I thought. Well, this sounds like a player who would. Um, be interesting too because he's play you know he's in multiple orange bowls and um he certainly you know made history becoming the first true freshman to win the the not the heisman the national championship and um i found a fan page of his on facebook and we connected and then uh, we, I was able to get in touch with his cousin, and we were able to uh, get that forward to the book. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was really cool getting to meet him. <laughs> um, they, they wanted me to write even more for, for them. I'm like, I, I wish I could. I just, I. I don't know enough about Oklahoma football. I'm not an Oklahoma guy. So I, if you, you know, I can't write Oklahoma books cause that's just not my thing, but I'm, but they're very nice people. They're very easy to work with, very good people. So I appreciate them and Jamel especially. Yeah. Jamel Holloway is one of those names, one of those college football names that just, it's like, a special, special player and, yeah. and, and, and 30 years ahead of his time. And, you know, and now mm-hmm. going into the NFL there, he, he'd be a dream, but he was a little bit yeah. ahead of his time for the pro game, but just yeah. that wishbone offense at Oklahoma, he was, he was 
it was like he was molded to play that position in yeah. that style. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I think of like him, I think of like Tommy Frazier at Nebraska, mm. just these guys yeah. are just special college football players and don't mm. necessarily break through the pro game, but, but mm. you just, you never forget them. So I, I saw that he, mm. he was, he wrote the forward. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. Um, yeah. Especially because you're not, like you said, you're not an Oklahoma guy, no. uh, you know, so that that's, that's really cool. So you kind of alluded to, you're, you're not an Oklahoma guy. You're, you don't really plan on necessarily writing about that. Although it sounds like there's an audience for it. So do you have another book in mind? You know, you've got two, two down. Uh, do, you, do you have another project in mind that you might be working on or something that you're brainstorming? Yeah, definitely. Um, I am just a few days away from completing my sequel to this book, The Sugar Bowl, A Complete History. Ooh. And it's going to be the same, same thing, just about the Sugar Bowl. And um, I delayed the uh, date for submitting it until after this, this year's Sugar Bowl, because I wanted to get in this college football playoff game as part of it. So I'll be finishing up that book. Everything else is finished. It's all ready except for the one the one game. And as soon as I finish that, then I'm going to have it sent off to my publisher to start working on. And yeah, the Super Bowl Complete History by McFarlane. Same, same idea as the Orange Bowl book. That's my next book. Wonderful. Well, it's a great resource for folks down here. If you want a, a really handy resource to kind of have everything, not only about the game itself, but kind of about the teams that played in it and, and their season's history at your fingertips. It, it's really exceptional. So again, the book, uh, The Orange Bowl, A Complete History, forward by Jamel Holloway, uh, the author Tommy Phillips. Uh, we'll be sure to share the links uh, to pick up that book on our social media channels and in the notes of this episode. Um, I, I do encourage you to check it out because it's really exceptional. Tommy, thank you so much for your time and for your work in, in helping to tell our community sports history. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Again, I really do want to thank Tommy Phillips for his time, his expertise, and his care uh, in writing about uh, our community's signature college football bowl game. Uh, as I said when I spoke to Tommy, I'll tell you too, if you're at all interested in South Florida sports history, it really is a book you should have on your shelf or available in your e-reader. Uh, it's incredibly useful in putting you back in the time and when these games are taking place, understanding the teams and understanding what really makes each of the games uh, important. I also want to thank his publisher, McFarland. Uh, it was very helpful in, in getting me a copy of this book when I first discovered it um, last year. I almost said this year. Remember, it is 2024. Um, and, and getting a chance to peruse it. So uh, particularly uh, Stephanie Nichols over at McFarland. Um, and lastly, uh, as I mentioned, uh, 2024, uh, I hope to be a big year for our little show. Uh, so many people have offered so many kind words about uh, what we do, um, which I greatly appreciate. And, and there are so many people that, that make it work, um, including the great historians of this community and you, the audience. Um, and so uh, I expect, knock on wood, uh, another episode to come out this month in January. Um, and stay tuned. Make sure you're following us on social media, uh, pretty much at This Day Miami Pod on Twitter, on Instagram, Facebook, um, where there is social media, where well, you can find us there. You can find links there. You can find interesting posts there, uh, particularly on Facebook, being able to engage with the South Florida history community 
has been incredibly useful. Um, and this day, MiamiPod.com. Uh, so with that said, again, Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you have a very good one. Uh, I hope our community has a prosperous one. And until next time, I've been Matthew Bunch. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.